Today's scripture reading is from the book of Psalms, chapter 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, Seek my face. My heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out of violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your, courage, let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Well, hello, familia. Um, right away I became aware once I heard her start to read the Psalms that you are now jumping from a very beautiful voice and an accent to my New York and Bronx, the hot ghetto mess, and I truly apologize. Um, I feel completely inadequate voice-wise, so I have nothing but the Spirit of the Lord to lean upon, right? Why should I look in my light and my salvation? Who should I be afraid of? So anyway, again, my name is Rich Rivera. I am pastor and church planner at Restoration Community Church in the South Bronx. A lot of you have seen my face before, um, and I love that. I love that this is in a strange place that I'm walking into. It does feel like it's family. It does feel like This is familiar. It's not foreign. Um, When I look at you, I don't see differences. I don't see tax brackets. I don't see demographics. I see a bunch of beautifully broken people. And, And there's no more beautiful person in any given room at any given time than a broken one. Because a broken one gets put together by the power and the spirit of God. So... This is why I was so excited about speaking from the Psalms today because I think the Psalms really are kind of where we as humans find ourselves. Amen? Like we're in there. Like sometimes I read about some of the great heroes of faith and I say, I don't know if I'm that. I'm not sure if I'm this. But when I read the Psalms, I can find myself in one of them. You, we, we, the emotion, the pure honesty of the Psalms is something that we would treasure. And as... Years go by. Every year that I get a little older, I appreciate them more. So um, this particular one is probably my favorite. And it's my favorite because in it, I've always read it, and I've always been aware of God's power, his presence, and his peace. Um, And to set this up, I'm going to share a quote 
that I like, and it's from Marcel Prost. He was not a Christian at all. He was some French bohemian guy who probably lived a very unchristian life, but wrote this, and this is amazingly beautiful, and I believe it to be true. He wrote that the journey to finding new discoveries does not lie in finding new landscapes, but in finding new eyes. So when I read that, I'm fully aware that for me to experience and discover newness, I don't have to leave where I'm at. And that's often our mistake, right? We think about change. Things aren't going good. We want to change it. Um, But change, really, if I'm honest, is powerless. That's why we preach the gospel, because the gospel isn't about change. It's about transformation. Because change, I can go home and change my pants, and I'm still rich. I can move from the South Bronx to Tribeca, but wherever I go, I'm still going with me. So change doesn't really deal with the human heart. And that's what the gospel does. The gospel doesn't deal with the appearance or the outside. It, it doesn't, it's not concerned with the flaws or the shine or the glamour or the glitz. It's concerned with the beauty of the heart and the heart's affection. So I pray deeply that as I just go through this psalm in the next couple of minutes, um, your affections for Jesus are stirred. That you would come to see him as more beautiful, more precious. That you would come to see all the good things that he has given you as great gifts. Not to be hoarded, but to be shared. What you have in your possession, regardless of what it is that you have, is powerful. But it isn't power unless it's shared. It's oppression if you don't share it. So I just want to jump right in and let's just start talking about this idea of power, presence, and peace and how God, through the person and work of Jesus Christ and the indwelling of the Holy, Holy Spirit, allows us to experience these three things. Um, verse 1, right off the bat, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Um, in preparing for this, I noticed for the first time probably, and I don't know if you guys ever noticed that you can read scripture over and over again, but when Holy Spirit wants to teach you something, you learn it in the moment. Something that was there before, and you've probably read a hundred times, is brand new to you. Um, then I realized that every time light and salvation are used, light is always first. And for the nation of Israel, um, a people who lived in a desert, a people who were under siege at all times, light was a big deal. Right? Jerusalem City said on the hill, if you ever been in a desert at night, it's pretty dark. They needed light just to see enemies coming. So having light gave you like a strategic military upper hand and advantage just because of location alone, just because of where you were. Um, now, jump that into our spiritual lives and our spiritual walk. I, I started to realize that sometimes um, this light really is a strategic advantage in other battles that we do have, the ones that we don't want to talk about, the ones that are probably going on inside of ourselves. And the Holy Spirit does this thing where it reveals things that you keep a secret from yourself to yourself. The world probably sees it. We may fool ourselves and trick ourselves into thinking that this isn't noticeable. But the truth is, most folks see these things in us. 
Sometimes we don't see them in ourselves. And we struggle because of it. So when I read the Lord is my light and my salvation. I read that I need to see my personal need to be saved. Before I can experience the true power of salvation. The light of God's love is manifested through the power of salvation. This idea of being born again, regenerated, transformed completely from the inside out. That is the power of God and it is a gift to all of those who call Jesus their Lord and Savior. Who follow and trust him as their keeper. Who rest in assurance that nothing and absolutely, I mean it, nothing that we do, um, none of our good deeds saves us. It's only by the power and the will of God. And that's freeing to us. I don't have to rest on my performances to be in good standing with my Lord. He has made a way for me to be in his presence. That's the power of the gospel of grace. Grace is an undeserved, unmerited gift given freely to us, but it came at a cost to Christ. He spent himself so we can be in the presence of the Father, praising him for an eternity. That is absolutely beautiful. And when I read the light, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? Why should I be afraid of consequences, of circumstances, of acceptance when my greatest need has already been met. This does something to our perspective and how we engage with the world when we know the greatest need that we had was met and is kept. We don't lose our salvation. God grants it freely to us It is a beautiful gift of love. And we get to live that out. And we get to do it in his presence. Um, Verse 4. This isn't going to be that long. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. So now that we have had this great light of God's love shine on us so that we've become aware of our own need to be saved. And, and we've received this great gift of God's grace. Um, we have access, right? It's called prayer. Like we literally, the veil was torn when Jesus says it is done. So now we stand in the presence of God. That fellowship has been restored. Um, and I read this and it amazes me that David when given the opportunity to ask for something, he asks to be in God's presence. And I think that's what we should do if we've truly experienced his power. Under the power of salvation, once experienced, that should be our desire, to be in his presence, that I might inquire in his temple. This idea of being close, like in in proximity, in the presence of God, I have everything that I need. Not in the absence of suffering, but in the midst of it. This idea of change versus transformation, right? Change is a change in a location, changing clothes, 
changing boyfriend, spouse, job, whatever, church, doesn't do much if you're still going with you. If the, power, the problem is you, if the issue is you, and we all suffer, right? We all have an identity crisis. We get into trouble when we rest our identity in anything other than Christ. And this is strictly like for the Christian. So if you're not a Christian, if you're not a follower of Christ, um, this may seem a little wild to you. And I just want to assure you it seems a little wild to me too. We ask folks to believe some really crazy stuff sometimes. The Christian faith is out there. Um, And also that's the beauty of the power of God. That even though we'll throw our hands up willingly sometimes and say, I don't know. Like that's the best answer we have to give to people. Why do certain things happen? I don't know. Yet we can say God is good. And we experience something of him deeper, sometimes in pain, that we don't or we wouldn't experience outside of it. Um, And it's just the way it works. And this idea of being granted the power to be in his presence um, amazes me in that we will often not ask to be close to him in times of trouble. To be in his temple. Temple, place made for worship. To live a life of worship. That's a hard thing to do. How do we do that without the power of the Holy Spirit? Constantly speaking into those secret spots of our soul. Constantly touching us. Drawing us closer um, to God and away from ourselves in a sense. It's the beauty of what I read here. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. That has to be spoken and written out of desperation. This can't be a happy person saying this. This has to be someone who's come to the end of themselves. Who is at that point that they don't know where they're going, what it is that they're doing. Yet they know God is good. And they'll still say, if I can ask for one thing, God. Let me worship you. All the days of my life. Let me inquire in your temple. Let me seek you. Um, Verse 8 always gets me when I hear it read. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Is that our response? And it might not be. And it doesn't make you weird. It doesn't make you any less of a Christian. It makes you human. And that is the beauty of church. I said before, like this, I, I stand up here and I realize this is just a room of tragically but beautifully broken people. And in the Psalms, we find ourselves because it's very honest, open, the realest expression of all the humans' ups and downs, situations and circumstances. Inside of the covenant community, church, we lift each other up. We let folks lean on us. 
we listen. Which is probably the greatest witness and testimony you can give to the power of God. Sometimes it's just merely just shutting up and listening to someone unload and lovingly stay quiet. It's a beautiful thing. Um, So my prayer really is that your heart gets to that place that says, Lord, my heart wants to be with you in the middle of the pain, in the middle of the junk, in the middle of the confusion. I would rather be nowhere else but with you, worshiping you. Even if that means I have to jump, throw myself on my face, on the floor, crying. Because that's all I have. That is all that is left. Power, presence, and in those three things, and I'm wrapping up soon, probably my favorite one and the one that's the most real to me at this season in my life is this idea of God's peace. Um, if, if you grew up like I did, and I was born and raised in the Bronx, um, peace is a really, it's like a relative word, right? It depends on who you're asking. It means something different to everyone. Some folks' peace is having enough money so you don't have to have an EBT card, whatever. Or peace is not getting jumps and getting your leather goose down stolen in high school. Like, all type of things that come with New York City wrapped up. Like, peace was always a very confusing thing to me um, until I experienced God's power of salvation, um, until I discovered the, the power of his presence. Then I started to realize the power of his peace. And verse 13, probably, it might be one of my favorite verses, if I'm honest, in all of the Bible. Probably something that I, I hold on to and I cling to the most. And I say to myself every time when I'm just walking down the street. Is I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I do not have to wait till I'm in heaven to see the kingdom of God at work. I'm looking at it. Right? That quote. The journey does not lie in finding new landscapes. It lies in finding new eyes. Like, I feel like God in his goodness has given me kingdom eyes. So I don't see different. I see my brothers. I see my sisters. And in seeing that, it's peace. I'm not at war with anybody anymore because they're different from me. I have every reason to go, you guys don't understand me. You didn't grow up like me. And some of you probably did grow up like me. Right? It's just this weird thing that that we're taught quietly because nobody ever does this stuff out in the open. It's always subtle. It's always very quiet. And God has allowed me to see past those things that I was taught, that I was passed down. It's like an inheritance. It's like, what did your family leave you? Well, my family left me a bad worldview. Quite honestly, they didn't know anything else. But now, I look at things and I see the kingdom of God. So, although I live in the South Bronx, I walk around and all I see is beauty. Even though all those numbers are still true about the the community, all of those things still happen, um, I see beauty. I see a bunch of folks um, 
And this is the thing about the kingdom of God. It, it looks small and it's unsexy. It's not the glamorous thing to do. To be kind of like a kingdom agent, to work for the kingdom, to roll up your sleeves, to do the really difficult work of service is not glamorous. And it always happens super quiet. And if you do it right, nobody even acknowledges you. Yet, it is visible to those who have experienced the power of God at work in their own personal lives. Your family will see it. And their response to it is, I'll be there when you need it. So what I'm saying really is all of us here, whether we've known each other or we don't, we've developed a secret language, a language of the spirit. We've been given kingdom eyes. I can see God's goodness at work in you, and I pray that you can see God's goodness at work in me. And somewhere, my deepest prayer is that we continue to meet in the middle at Christ. Because if... You're one end of the city, I'm on the other. Right by the water, overlooking this, I'm looking at a schoolyard and whatever. It doesn't make us different. It makes us co-laborers. It's just that our fields look a little different. So we deal with the same sin, but it's just in different disguises, right? We deal with different symptoms, but the disease is still the same. It's the human heart. We preach the only thing that can heal the human heart. We preach the truth that God graciously stepped into his own and fixed it for us. And now we get to live together in the kingdom here. And we do not have to wait to die and pass on into the next life. We get to experience that now. His power, his presence, and his peace now. And none of it comes in the absence of suffering. In fact, it's made more beautiful in the midst of suffering. As hard as that is to believe, or as wild as it sounds, um, God becomes more true when we hurt. And that is his goodness at work in the land of the living. We said before, there's been a couple of years this partnership has been going on. I I think this is the third year already. Um, And it feels like yesterday. And it's really odd because, like, we finally launched. We have public services. And I know that I don't even know what time it is now. But in a little while, they're going to start where I'm at. And I'm going through this, like, separation anxiety already. Right? You start to worry that. If you're not there, something's going to go wrong. If, if this, and then you start to realize that this really is um, not about me. Amen? And that I'm still serving the kingdom by spending my Sunday with you. And, and I want to invite you guys to one Sunday, come spend it with us. Um, to make the trek up to the boogie down, hang out with us for a little while. We're planning on buying a Domino's table. So after church, we're going to open it and just sit outside and play dominoes. Um, there's a lot of kids in the area. We're going to get some board games. We're, we're like the super out there church, just so you know. You throw in a party, we'll show up, we'll close it down. 
We are like that present incarnational church, right? That's what makes us feel better when we say that. Like we are with the people. No, we, we like to hang out, honestly. We like to eat. You know, certain things are okay to us. That might not be, but for other Christians. But um, I say that to say that this should really feel natural to have me come here to speak. And, and I pray that you would feel just as comfortable coming to visit us. And hanging out with us. Because it's not about us. It really isn't about us. And that is freeing. The power of the gospel is that it frees you from trying to be free in the first place. You're not going to do enough to get on my good. You don't have to. I shouldn't have to jump through hoops to be cool with you. I'm your brother. We should be cool. Because we're a family, right? And family doesn't always agree with each other, I know. But it always shows um, each other respect and love. Why? Because there's love there in the, in the first place. So if what we preach is the power of God's love that does the transforming work that takes us from one, from right, for, let's just use the language of the scripture, that takes us from dark to light. The light that we need to see our own need to be saved in the first place. That light that begins a work in us that wants nothing else but to be close to God at all times. And that closeness takes us to the place where we now experience God's peace. Again, not in the absence of suffering, but in the midst of it. These are the things that make up the kingdom of God. And the kingdom always looks small. It's always unglamorous. But there is no more necessary thing in this world right now than a serious outbreak of God's grace. The gospel of God's grace, the truth of the whole counsel of scripture, um, the loving fellowship of the believers, this natural relationship with people who don't, see things that make them different but are rallied around the one thing that, the the most foundational thing that unites us, our necessity our need for Jesus in the first place that's what we celebrate as a church that's what we celebrate at the table when we do communion and we're going to switch over into a time of communion Um, Jacob asked me to do it and I asked if it was okay if I did communion the way we do it at Restoration Um, We have our our own little way of doing communion. I read something every Sunday that we wrote up. um, And since I'm home with family, I don't want to change that. Amen? So the Lord's Supper is both a sign and a seal of God's grace upon the covenant community that we call the Christian Church. And as members, family of God's covenant community, um, when we come to the table, we eat and drink in faith. But we also come to the table in need. When we come to the table, we acknowledge that we need to be fed by God's grace to maintain unity and harmony in Christ's church. We come to the table to acknowledge our Lord who is present. That Christ is present. He is not far off. In the land of the living, he is near. Um, These are the words of our Lord as found in Matthew 26, verses 26 through 28. It says, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, 
and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The table is now open for those who trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior and their Keeper.